0: Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia, and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia, and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. As a business owner, Anne-Claire began overextending herself and her sleep started to suffer. She reduced her workload and experimented with supplements and medication but her sleep seemed to get even worse. After deciding that she didn't want to continue using medication, Anne-Claire began to explore whether changing her approach to sleep and her response to insomnia might be helpful. Like most people, Anne-Claire had tried to fight or avoid the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with insomnia, and this got her tangled up in more of a struggle with them. In a change of approach, Anne-Claire began making space for them to exist. She would greet and welcome her thoughts, even the difficult ones. She practiced being more of an observer of them, rather than an opponent of them. As she did that, she realized that many of the thoughts her mind generated didn't match her own experience. This helped her realize that there was no need to battle with her mind, that her mind would generate all kinds of thoughts and feelings, some of which might be true, some of which might not be true, some of which might be helpful, and some of which might not be helpful. As she started to implement and practice new habits, Anne-Claire also realized that the more effort she put into sleep, the more difficult it became. She found that by maintaining a consistent out of bedtime in the morning, regardless of how she slept, She was better able to do things that mattered and she was more likely to experience better sleep on subsequent nights. She also discovered that comparing her sleep to anyone else's or trying to achieve a certain amount or type of sleep was not helpful and was likely to pull her back into a struggle. Today Anne-Claire no longer struggles with sleep thanks to her willingness to experience insomnia, sleep has, once again, become effortless. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, so Anne-Claire, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast.
1: My pleasure, my pleasure very much.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about when your sleep problems first began and what you think might have caused those initial issues with sleep?
1: Uh, I think they began right around 2015 and uh, I think the primary cause was uh, I'm kind of an overachiever and i run my own business and i uh, overextended myself and had way too much going on and so i uh, in order to be able to meet my standards about what, what i wanted to do for my clients i was doing a lot of long nighters all-nighters all that kind of stuff and uh, i'm uh, I'm an analytical type of person, so I was always thinking about what was going on and not really taking a lot of time to uh, sort of give my mind a break, uh, even when I was uh, trying to rest. So I think a lot of the time while I was in that uh, sort of overextended time period, I was just almost recalibrating my body clock and without knowing that I was doing that. And then when it was sort of waning, um, uh, I just wasn't able to get back onto something normal. And of course, I was, you know, life intervenes all the time. So uh, you start thinking about lots of stuff and uh, I was just uh, sort of hyper, in a hyper arousal more than I probably should have been. And so that just that carried on for quite some time. And then I realized I probably needed to do something, be doing something different. I've always been a light sleeper. But i could sleep and so yeah sound would bother me and things like that but that was easy to take care of but um uh no matter what was going on i usually would get enough sleep and i was not one to think oh i need 12 hours or eight hours it was just what do i need to to, to feel good and um i'd say that uh i mean i did certainly have some sleep issues um probably in, uh, 2010, 2011. So when I went through menopause, I mean, there was all those kinds of physiological things that were going on, but I could attribute them to that. And then in about 2015, as I mentioned, when I really overextended myself and just, uh, uh, was just having burning the midnight oil all the time and not really resting and keeping my mind going all the time and then being sort of the one people um, look to in the family to solve all that as well. I mean, it was just sort of go, go, go. And uh, and I just uh, felt like I needed to be doing all those things and really neglected being on any sort of set schedule other than accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. <laughs> And uh, so uh, once uh, all that sort of care, uh, died down a little bit, and I could uh, really get back onto more of a regular schedule, I think I had completely recalibrated my my body clock to so that I and I didn't understand what that all that meant. And so when it was time to sleep, and I was still thinking about things, um, or you know, why can't I sleep, which would also require me to be thinking more about, well, what do I need to do in order to sleep? Which, of course, wasn't helpful at all to be doing anything to try to to fall asleep. And I did try several things by the time I reached out to you, I believe in 2020.
0: There's lots of great stuff there just to unpack it a little bit. It sounds like you kind of attribute a lot of the initial sleep disruption to, you know, that really busy kind of stressful lifestyle that some of us have. Um, And also, I think some of us are just kind of that high achiever personality We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to perform all the time. Um, What we would usually expect to see, you know, if we weren't talking about insomnia, we were just talking about life and stress and all that stuff that gets in the way um, is when we're able to kind of take a step back. And maybe a little bit less of burning the candle at both ends, then everything will kind of get back on track again, right? We can just expect sleep to just kind of take over and go back to the good old days the way it was. Um, but as you were describing, when you were able to kind of take a step back and have less pressure um, in, in your life, the the sleep kind of didn't seem to get on track. Did I hear you right? Was that Was that what your experience was like?
1: That's correct. That's correct. And so I uh, I felt like I probably needed to go see somebody, you know, or there's something wrong with me or, you know, something like that. And so I went to see my primary care physician who also does a lot of homeopathic types of things. And so she said, well, let's try some supplements and things like that. And I can't even tell you. I mean, there was the usuals like melatonin and stuff and valerian. And there were some other ones that uh uh, didn't work at all. But I think in looking back, I was sort of putting all my hope in the particular supplement in sort of being something like magic, as opposed to me making any changes in my behavior. And so that went on for some time, um, and, uh, which was very frustrating. And then, uh, I, uh, ended up, uh, you know, getting to the point where I was so sleep deprived, I mean, really sleep deprived. Uh, I was, there were many nights I would go with zero hours. Um, and, uh, so I said, I really do need to have something that will help me sleep. And so we, we moved to sleep medication, which I was not happy about, uh, at all. So, uh, so I, but again, it, it was really more relying on something external as opposed to me making any behavior changes.
0: I think it's a well-trodden path that you just described, something that a lot of people identify with, because going back to what we were talking about earlier, often we can recognize that when sleep disruption first shows up, maybe there's an identifiable or obvious cause. Uh, Sometimes we can control that cause, sometimes we can't. Um, But we kind of understandably believe that Once that trigger that cause is no longer present or relevant, then everything will kind of get back on track. And normally it does. Um, But in the case of insomnia, sometimes it doesn't. And that can make it feel really mysterious and unique and unusual and lead to a lot of confusion and worry and anxiety and all the difficult stuff that comes with that concern that we've got about our sleep. The truth is there's never really any mystery to it, to insomnia. And from person to person is quite, it's almost identical from person to person. And it often comes down to the change in our approach to sleep once we're experiencing that sleep disruption. And sometimes we get caught up in this change without even realizing it. We're just completely approaching sleep completely differently, understandably, because we see it as a problem that we want to fix. So we engage in some changes, behavioral changes, maybe our thoughts about sleep have changed as well. And it's all those changes that we understandably adopt in response to that sleep disruption that are almost like opening that oxygen valve to, to insomnia and just supplying it with the oxygen that it needs that it needs to survive. Um, when, when you talked about going down that route of, you know, exploring supplements and talking about medication and things like that, you touched upon the fact that you, now you're able to look back and recognize that your behaviors have changed in a way that maybe wasn't helpful. But at the time, had you noticed that your behaviors had changed? had you noticed that your approach to sleep had changed when you were kind of tangled up in that struggle? Or did it just all seem very mysterious still?
1: It really was very mysterious. And I, you know, to be honest, I wondered if it was a, a, a more about the aging process, you know, maybe my body is changing. And, you know, we all, a lot of us think about, oh, I wish when I could do what I did when I was younger, blah, 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 all that kind of thing. And uh, I thought about that and I thought, well, maybe this is just part of the normal aging process. People talk about when you get older, you don't need that much sleep, but I certainly did realize you need some, well, which I wasn't getting. And uh, But uh, what really occurred to me is that, and what was afforded to me when COVID hit and we were in essentially lockdown, as I thought, I can now pay attention to me and really take a look at what is going on here. And so I just I I wanted to completely get off uh, any kind of non, I I wanted to get off any kind of pharmaceutical mechanism to help me with my sleep. I wanted to do something different about it. And so I uh, started reading a a lot more and really uh, discovered the whole idea of cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, being a, a scientist myself, Uh, I really uh, enjoy reading about that kind of stuff and realize, well, maybe I can talk to somebody who really knows what kind of therapy we're we're talking about here. And so I did go see someone in person who uh, in my hometown and uh, for a couple of sessions to really learn more about it uh, and realize that the type of behavioral changes that were going to be required. That I know you've talked about, like sleep restriction and the stimulus control, was in anything that I had ever thought of before. It was almost counterintuitive, um, and of course, uh, the gathering the data and all that. So, uh, and uh, but I I certainly realized that I had potential, and as long as I was willing to learn about myself and learn about. What was going on with me with some help from someone that I would be able to have those changes. And whether the sleep was um, like it was when I was younger didn't matter to me as long as it was enough uh, for whatever I needed to be doing and feel good. Uh, that's what I went for. So I actually looked around for a coach. And, you know, I discovered Insomnia Coach. And I thought, I want a coach because a coach will really help me learn about the potential I have uh, and unleash all that and unleash all that as opposed to saying here's what you have to do it's really more here's what the potential is and I can help you get there and uh, so that's when I reached out to you uh, in uh, December of 2020.
0: In terms of what what that sleep was like when it was still difficult for you was it were you finding it was difficulty just kind of first falling asleep or is it more to do with you fall asleep fine and then just wake up and find it impossible to fall back to sleep or or maybe it was a bit of of both
1: it was primarily just falling asleep and um you know and then as is uh i'm sure everyone who has uh had any kind of insomnia issues if you will or in their life knows it if you find yourself having trouble falling asleep, you get anxious about it, which of course makes it even more difficult (laughs) to fall asleep. So, uh, you know, and then you become so such that even the thought of having to go to bed to go to sleep is anxiety producing. So uh, you sort of uh, uh, just that whole idea of even uh, trying to be a, a normal sleeper. And of course, I'm married to someone who can sleep anywhere. Uh, so that was like tough, <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish I could do that. And of course you're, I have a cat who sleeps like 23 hours a day. It was even envying the cat. You know? <laughs> so it was primarily falling asleep. And, uh, and so there would be nights where I would have zero hours, but what was very interesting is that even when I had zero hours of sleep, it didn't really keep me from doing what I needed to do during the day. Although I would worry about that, that, oh, if I don't get enough sleep, then I won't be able to do X, Y, Z. But that really wasn't the case. Um, I mean, I was definitely tired and maybe didn't have quite as much energy, but uh, um, I didn't realize until much later after um, having my sort of online conversations with you and going through the course that it is the case that most people can do a lot of things without a lot of sleep, but I wasn't really recognizing that as being a good thing. It was really more of a, well, I can still do this, but I'm still worried and anxious about not being able to sleep, even though I was functioning pretty well.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. You say that you were you, were you finding that even though, When you recalled your own experience and were like, well, yeah, I can still do these things that are important, that matter to me independently of sleep. Were you finding that your brain was still maybe telling you other other things that were different to your own experience? Maybe your brain was telling you things like you won't be able to do those things or you'll really struggle to do those things, even though your experience told you something different.
1: Yes. And in that, yes, it would tell me that, but then if I did uh, make a slight error or something like that, my brain would always say, oh, that's because you didn't get enough sleep. Not because it was some normal thing (laughs) that anyone might make, but it was always the reason for anything that was not quite the outcome I wanted was attributed to potentially not getting enough sleep, which could have or may not have had anything to do with that. And uh, so, yeah, my brain was uh, right in there, um, letting me know that uh, my sleep uh, uh, issues were, prob- were it was telling me it was probably more of a problem than it actually was.
0: I think that's one of those places where we can really get tripped up, right? When the brain starts kind of firing up, doing its job and looking out for us and generating all these full range of thoughts and feelings. Some are helpful. Some are not helpful. Some make us feel good some don't make us feel good. And when those, when those difficult ones show up, because they don't feel good, I think as human beings, our default response tends to be to try and fight them or avoid them because they don't feel good. We recognize that they're not helping us. We just want to get rid of them. And that's what can really kind of tangle us up in a big struggle with the mind that can make everything more difficult because the brain then is doing its job looking out for us and we're trying to fight what it's doing or we're trying to avoid or trying to ignore or push it push all that mm-hmm. information away and then the brain is like this is important why are you not listening to me i'm going to yell even louder and then we're trying fight it even more and then it's yelling even louder and we just get caught so easily in that vicious cycle right where we just we, we experience more of that difficult stuff more difficult thoughts and feelings so we fight even harder to to get rid of it and then That stuff gets even harder and we fight harder. And before we know it, we're completely exhausted, completely distracted from everything around us and the things we want to do. And what happens? The thoughts still come back anyway, right? (laughs) So really what can be useful is, which I'm sure we're going to move on to discussing, is figuring out a way where we can break that cycle, where we can respond to all this difficult stuff that our mind is telling us, maybe in a more workable way, in a way that doesn't involve so much struggle, because as most of us know from experience, that stuff's going to show up anyway. What if we don't add the struggle on top? Maybe that might make things just a little bit easier to deal with or a little bit better, help us feel a little bit better. If we just imagine that our, our brain is on the other end of a rope and we're engaged in this huge tug of war battle, what if we just kind of drop that rope? So all that stuff is still there, but now we've just freed up so much of our energy and our attention because we're not just tugging on that rope all day long and all night long. Maybe now we're freed mm-hmm. up to do more of the stuff that that matters to us. Mm-hmm. Was that a journey that you found yourself on? You know, just responding to all that, all the stuff that your mind was telling you maybe in a different way?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. As a matter of fact, uh I was thinking about, you know, well, these are just thoughts, and uh, they're 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 transient, and it's not like the thoughts are going to do anything harmful to me, and I and I certainly, as you mentioned, it became such that if that I would spend energy in trying to eliminate those thoughts, then it just, you know, became more of that struggle, and so I just uh, decided that I need to be willing to accept that I have these thoughts and they're just thoughts. Um, and so I actually started doing um, guided meditations actually in the morning that really taught me a lot about, you know, what to do with sort of reframing those thoughts into something innocuous. And, uh, so as I, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I like to, uh, sort of, uh, think of a lot of those thoughts as sort of mind clutter. It's like, how do I clear out the clutter? But not with a, not with a, a heavy powered tool, but just with a, a little swipe of, you know, you know, like a, like a little feather duster or something like that. And so, I mean, one of my favorite images was thinking of some of those thoughts as some rambunctious little puppy that is bouncing around in my mind. That's so cute and makes me smile. Uh, or, uh, I had one where, uh, where I could imagine some of those thoughts in a parade on some, on some of those banners and they're just marching along and then disappear. You know, some, some place to put them and so that they weren't really very arousing and things like that. And just, just to sort of reframe them in ways to, to, so that it almost got to be habit that I could reframe most arousing thought into something really more useful and uh, more exploratory about what was going on with me and then just sort of put them aside. But that took some practice. That that took quite a bit of practice. I So anyone who's listening out there, that's not something that you're going to master overnight. It takes some practice and but well worth it, well worth it to sort of reframe those thoughts into just something that is just very normal.
0: I think one way of moving away from that struggle or building skill in moving away from that struggle, you know, and skills require practice, right? If someone handed me a guitar right now, I'd sound atrocious. Um, It would take me years and years and years to build skill in playing a guitar, for example. And this isn't really that different, right? It's a skill. It's a new skill set. If we recognize that we might benefit from a different approach to all this difficult stuff, then it's probably makes sense that it's going to require practice. It's going to require us developing a new skill. And that does take time. Listening to you describe your approach, it sounds like you practiced going away from trying to directly fight or avoid the thoughts that were turning up and more towards observing them. And you thought to yourself, well, how can I observe these maybe in a so they feel maybe less threatening or I'm less likely to kind of get thrown around by these thoughts. Um, and you use that example of, well, I kind of imagined these thoughts were like a rambunctious puppy. So the thoughts were there, but they took this form that's a little bit less threatening. And then you just kind of observe them.
1: Oh, I, I would even greet them. I would say, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, well, hello, thoughts. <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's sort of, and you're there, you know, and, uh, and not it. It's just like, uh, well, hello there. And, and, you know, you are what you are and, and, uh, you know, welcome and sort of really have put a positive spin on them so that there wasn't a reason for them to stick around.
0: Yeah. So, because you weren't kind of going to war with them, then maybe they didn't. The brain didn't feel like it had to keep on pushing this on you harder and harder and harder.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's uh, okay. Uh, you you you've done your job. Now you now it's like, well, okay, I'm going to go away. So uh, so that's that was part of this practice and really retooling in my mind about number one, even welcoming, disturbing or arousing kind of thought and then just allowing them to be and reframing them until they just sort of faded away. And so that's, that's the part that, it, that does take a little bit of practice.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think one area where we can get tripped up is when our goal is, okay, I'll do this. And my goal is to get rid of them because then we're just gonna kind of, we're still tangled up in that struggle, right? We're trying to fight or avoid them. So we really, we're almost like we're setting ourselves up for struggle. So we're not not really going to get where we want to be if our goal is still to get rid of these thoughts and feelings. It really is just about practicing responding to them without that struggle. Um, And sometimes as a bonus, they might just disappear. um, But really what we're doing is moving away from the battle. Because when we're engaged in a battle with our minds, as far as our brain is concerned, we're at war, right? We might as well just have that huge suit of armor on, riding the war horse with a big sword in our hand. The thoughts aren't going to disappear when we're at war. And second of all, how likely is sleep going to happen if we're engaged in this huge medieval battle with our minds in the middle of the night?
1: Yeah, yeah, very much. As a matter of fact, I I didn't even, it got to the point where I didn't even, getting rid of those thoughts didn't occur to me anymore. It was really more, oh, there they are again. Well, hello. And then I guess they would just get bored and go off.
0: You mentioned that you, you practiced a lot of this in, in the mornings. Did you ever practice it like in the middle of the night or when you first got into bed and you were struggling to fall asleep? Did you ever get any practicing with, with that kind of approach at that time?
1: Um, I did, but, uh, at, the, at the beginning, uh, I thought, well, I'll do this when I'm trying to fall asleep, but, see i just even said that i was trying to fall asleep which which implies effort and so the more i would do in towards a goal of trying to fall asleep it was it was almost a paradox so i found that if i did my guided meditation in the morning and then practiced a lot of that during the day when i was up and around and we all had all have lots of opportunities during the day to kind of <laughs> chill out a little bit and uh, maybe, uh, you know, reframe some things that are happening that it got to be a habit so that when I was in bed, um, I was, it was, I didn't even have to try to do things. So it was a sort of a a part of the way I was thinking. So, uh, but I did try that at first, but it, 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 again, as I mentioned, it had that paradoxical effect of putting effort into uh, trying to sleep, which is, I think you've mentioned, that's the one thing that usually putting effort into something is a good thing. But when it's sleep, not a good thing.
0: It's great that you were able to even notice that because I think so many, so, so much of the struggle can come from we just don't even notice when it's happening, when we're actually tangled up in that struggle. Um, when our goal or our intent is maybe that roadblock that's stopping us from reaching that goal. Um, Because just like you said, the more we try to make sleep happen, the more difficult it can become. It's kind of like the more we try to breathe, the more confusing it all becomes, right? It's just breathing is this natural process. And if we kind of decide, okay, today I want to take a certain number of breaths, I want to be able to inhale a certain volume of air in my lungs with every breath and average a certain intake of gas uh, every day, averaged over a week. Oh, breathing's going to get really confusing and stressful, right? And sleep is really the same. It's kind of that, that more attention we give it, the more we try to intervene, the more difficult it, it can all become. Um, and I think if we could just notice that that's what we're tangled up in. Then there's that huge opportunity, you know, that word you used right at the start of this conversation. You notice that there's that opportunity to change. Um, And the process of change isn't easy. It does require ongoing practice, but there's that opportunity there to respond, to approach this in a different way. Um, And just knowing that opportunity exists can sometimes be a little bit comforting and reassuring in and of itself. Um, and listening to these kind of discussions as well from people that have been tangled up in that process and unraveled from it can be really reassuring too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and really what the epiphany I had was there's really two parts to the cognitive behavioral therapy. There's the, there's what do you need to do to get your body physiologically attuned for sleep with sleep drive and things of that nature. And the, and the, the various uh, exercises, if you will, that you have folks do, but then there's the arousal part and the mind arousal part. And it was like, no matter what I did with all the, uh, physiological exercises I did to get my body into arousal would win over every time. And so I thought I have to focus on that to try to really give my body in mind every opportunity to do what should come naturally and it's just do everything i can to just promote sleep uh, without putting a lot of effort into it by sort of retooling a number of what was going on cognitively psychologically as well as physiologically
0: i like to think of it as this kind of two-pronged approach so we have the kind of behavioral side of things um, in terms of our habits around sleep or our behaviors around sleep and then we have all the stuff that goes on inside us, um, the thoughts and the feelings and how we respond to those. Um, And I think a lot of people do really well just changing that one one prong, the behavioral approach. So they might notice that I'm going to bed at eight o'clock and really struggling. Before I had any issues with sleep, I used to go to bed at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Maybe that's a change. I can kind of go back to my old way of doing things. Maybe going to bed really early isn't helping me, or maybe staying in bed really late in the morning isn't helping me. Maybe trying to nap during the day isn't helping me. And that approach for a lot of people is all that's needed, just that behavioral change, the change in their behavioral approach, new habits. But then for some people, that's kind of a great way to set the stage for sleep. But there's still that battle going on in the mind. So if we're not falling asleep in a certain amount of time, the brain's like, it's going to be another one of those nights. You're not going to be able to sleep. You're not going to be able to do anything tomorrow. You're just going to be sitting on that couch. Yeah, you know, Everyone's going to, no one's going to want to talk to you because you're going to be so miserable. All that stuff starts coming up. And then we start going, we start trying to fight it, distracting ourselves, pushing it away, getting mad at ourselves, being mean to ourselves. Why am I thinking these thoughts? Um, And I think that's where. Exploring a new way of responding to all that difficult stuff that's going on in our minds—that second prong approach—is um, really is kind of like the the cherry on the cherry on top of the cake. You know, if we can also go that go down that route as well, which I think, to be honest, is more difficult, um, often more difficult. If we can get down that road too, then really we're setting ourselves up for success. And by success, I mean living the kind of life we want to live independently of sleep and regardless of the difficult thoughts and feelings our brain is generating while it's doing its job of looking out for us?
1: Yeah, for me, I needed to do the whole hog, (laughs) if you will. I had to do the physiology as well as the, um, as well as the sort of the mind-body connection, you know, but, and, and I really had to have the willingness to have full commitment. I mean, I, Thought, okay, I'm just going to do this and make the time for it and uh, do the things that were even uncomfortable, uh, such as the sleep restriction was very, very helpful for me uh, and very interesting to see, to, to, to recognize how that worked. Um, um, And then, um, and then at the same time, working on what, what, what's going on from the arousal standpoint. And naturally, sort of all that mind clutter this, that I mentioned that, that, that we have a lot of time.
0: You touched upon sleep restriction a couple of times now. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that approach panned out for you? Just for someone that's listening, maybe has never heard of sleep restriction before. Maybe you could just explain what it was or your understanding of it in your own words and how you implemented it and what that process of implementation was like for you
1: yeah i'm kind of you know i i did some reading up on it of course and i to be honest i think it should be called bed restriction instead of sleep restriction (laughs) because it kind of has a, a not as great a connotation as what's going on but uh i i as a scientist i'm used to collecting data and so i was all for logging really what my sleep was for a couple of weeks to see uh, how much sleep I was actually getting and how much time, you know, from the time in bed, you know, all those kinds of things. So for everyone out there, you, you, uh, you keep track of how much time you're in bed and how much time you're awake versus asleep and various other, um, data points as well. And then there, uh, a, a, to a sleep window, if you will, is, is, is constructed for you so that you don't go to bed until a certain time, and then you only stay in bed a a certain amount of time. And so that you're really, what you're doing, the whole point is to stimulate sleep drive. And uh, so I will say that the one thing that was one of the biggest helps to me was because I had been on, um, a long-term sleep medication. Um, I had lost the ability and did not realize this, but I had lost the ability to recognize true sleepiness, because I would just fall asleep by virtue of that medication that I was taking. Um, and, uh, and so I would, I would um, misread tiredness for sleepiness. And you can be tired, but be wide awake uh, as opposed to having that sleepiness. And so what, what uh, sleep restriction, bed restriction did for me was allow me to discover what truly feeling sleepy meant. And so it was a much more natural thing to go to bed. I'm sleepy, therefore I'm going to sleep. Uh, so that was very, very helpful for me. I, I, and I know it probably sounds funny for folk, a lot of folks, but being able to distinguish between tiredness and true sleepiness was pivotal for me and a, and a big, big uh, help for me early on in the sleep, re- sleep restriction uh, exercises that we were doing. And so then I was able to extend the number of hours and, and so forth, yeah.
0: It's something I hear really quite common that I kind of lost this sensation of sleepiness or I might feel sleepy earlier in the night, but then it's time for bed. And then all that sleepiness just seems to disappear. Um, and I think a lot of people with chronic insomnia, um, do mistake fatigue or tiredness for sleepiness. Um, I think a lot of people without insomnia probably do too, um, because we often use the words interchangeably. But there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're able to reflect on that yourself. If you were to, if I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to describe the difference for you everyone's different. But what was that difference like? What, what's the difference between feeling tired and fatigued, um, which might not indicate that you're ready for sleep, compared to sleepiness, which might indicate that your body's ready to start generating sleep?
1: Well, tired is uh, really more of a fatigue and you might want to go, well, I just feel like not doing much. And uh, just maybe sitting around and watching some TV or just hanging out. Whereas sleepiness, you get that true where your, your eyes start drooping and you can just feel the, the sensation in your brain of truce wanting to fall asleep. Whereas in tiredness, you don't have that at all. But you know where your eyes, again, start drooping and, and, and you can almost start nodding off. Um, and, uh, so when you're tired, you don't necessarily do, but that sort of nodding off sensation was, I was like, oh, I couldn't remember the last time that (laughs) that happened to me. And it was just delightful. It's like, oh yes, now I'm recalling what this is. And this is means that truly my sleep drive is kicking in and this is an opportunity for me to actually get some sleep.
0: I think that's a great way of describing it and for for people that aren't sure what we mean by sleep drive, it's almost like hunger but for sleep, like biological hunger for sleep. So we wake up in the morning, most of us are pretty hungry because we haven't eaten all night, Um, so we'll eat some breakfast, then we're not hungry anymore until, you know, around lunchtime and then maybe not until... dinner time and what what can happen when we have insomnia and we really want to chase after sleep and make sleep happen is we might start going to bed before we're sleepy which is a bit like sitting at the dinner table at three o'clock in the afternoon waiting to get hungry for dinner at night you know the chances are we're just going to be sitting there doing nothing for a long time until biologically the body's like okay i'm ready to to eat or i'm ready to sleep now Um, And so with a sleep window, all we're looking to do is, all right, if I'm averaging X amount of sleep over the course of a week or two, then I'm gonna allot roughly that much time to be in bed. Um, So we're kind of, we're not taking sleep away from ourselves. That's why sleep restriction is probably really unhelpful terminology because it implies that we're restricting sleep. But what we're doing really It's just restricting the amount of time available for wakefulness. Because if we know from our own experience that we're averaging three, four, five hours of sleep, then by spending eight, nine, ten hours in bed, we're setting ourselves up for long periods of wakefulness and we're more likely to be going to bed before the body is actually ready for bed, uh, before it's ready for sleep to happen. and really, that's that's all there is to it. It's not one of these things that can make sleep happen. It's not one of these things that guarantees we're not going to spend time awake at night. But it just helps us move away from chasing after sleep, trying to make it happen in a way that makes it more difficult for sleep to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think your analogy of uh, it being like hunger is 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 great. And um, and, and uh, I mean you. I, there was a, a saying I read somewhere where you know you, you know sleep to live, not live to sleep. You know there are a lot of people. I just like to sleep. It's like well, if your body doesn't really is not ready for it, and it also the other really epiphany that I had was that um, you know you need to do what your body needs as opposed to what you want. <laughs> And uh, it'd be nice if you could just, well, I'm going to sleep whenever I want or do whatever things when I want. But if your body's just, that's not what it needs, then you need to respect that and uh, perhaps uh, alter your thinking on uh, your, your approaches to certain things, whether it's eating or sleeping or any of those other things that we do for sustenance and health.
0: We talked about that sleep restriction is one part of the behavioral changes that you made, just kind of giving yourself an earliest possible bedtime and getting out of bed at a reasonably consistent time every morning as well. Were there any other behavioral changes you made that looking back upon reflection you found were useful too?
1: Well, the one thing that uh, you just mentioned that I didn't um, allude too much on, but I, it turned out to be critical was the consistent time of getting out of bed that no matter what time I went to sleep, I always got out of bed at the same time. And uh, so even if I was up till two o'clock in the morning and my get out of bedtime was five, I would get up at five. And whether it was the weekend, vacation, whatever, it was just really important to have that consistent get out of bedtime and, and uh, not try to catch up on sleep. Um, a lot of people think that that's a good idea, but it, definitely um, maybe it was at one time but certainly
0: is uh was not helpful that catching up on sleep that idea of uh, i need to catch up on sleep why sometimes it's not helpful we can kind of go back to that hunger analogy again right because it would be like i really want to i really want to eat i really want eating to happen i d- really don't like feeling hungry i want to feel full so uh, four o'clock in the afternoon we have this huge three-course meal and then we're kind of like yes I've caught up and then at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night when everyone's kind of already eating dinner you're still not eating dinner yet you're kind of sitting there oh I I, want to eat now but I'm full and it's kind of like that when we're catching up on sleep it can feel great at the time yeah I'm catching up on sleep or I've just fallen asleep at four o'clock and my alarm's gone off at five. I'm just gonna sleep in until eight or nine o'clock. Well, yeah, it can feel great at the time, but then we're kind of setting ourselves up for difficulties later on.
1: Oh, absolutely. I actually look back on just my life in general in that um, I would tend to you know, work all week and then on uh, I'd sleep in on Sundays, like till nine in the morning. And then looking back, I always wondered why I couldn't fall asleep on Sunday night. <laughs> well, it's because I'd, my body had as much sleep as it needed. And it's like, well, you know, and so then I have to get back on track before I ever had, this was before I ever had quote insomnia. that just, I would not sleep well on Sunday nights because I would sleep in on Sunday mornings. So another Two and two together.
0: And sometimes it's worth it, right? It's just like everything that helps us live a rich and meaningful life tends to come with some downsides and some difficult stuff. And sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes we'll be like, yeah, I want to have a line on Saturday on Sun- Saturday or Sunday. That helps me live the life I want to live. It might lead to some sleep disruption on the next night, but I'm okay with that. Um, and, that and that's fine. It's just being aware of the fact that our our choices that we make, they're gonna have consequences. And it's down to us as individuals. We're the expert on ourselves to know if that's a trade-off we're okay with. And if we are, then fine. There's no need to change anything.
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I I did make that connection and had to have a, I laughed about it actually. (laughs) It went, well, oh, well, that was fine.
0: (laughs) When we're dealing with chronic insomnia, there can be so many insights to be gained from reflecting back on what our approach to sleep was before it's all seemed so difficult. Um, I think there's so many valuable snippets of information from our own experience that we can use to our advantage there. Because um, when we're really caught up in the struggle, the brain's looking out for us and it's just laser focused on fixing the problem. Um, and it's that trying to fix the problem, which is often what gets us, caught up in that quicksand you know caught up in the struggle and the more we try the more we keep sinking um, if we're able to kind of reflect back well how did I approach this before whether that was one year 10 years 50 years ago we might be able to get some little insights there that can help us as we move forward you talked about you were implementing sleep restriction or the sleep window so what was that actually like it's one thing to talk about all right I'm not going to go to bed before a certain time I'm gonna get out of bed. In, uh, no matter what, at say five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, whatever your lifestyle is, the time that works for you. Let's just kind of go back to so night one um, and you kind of set this up for yourself. What did that look like in practice? Was it something that you found like really easy to do? Did you find that you were immediately just falling asleep as soon as your head hit the pillow and just sleeping right through the night? What was, what was the actual experience of implementation like?
1: Oh no! It was it was uh, it was challenging. It was challenging, and that was one of the first things where I said I need to be willing to commit myself to do this because I knew that it was probably going to take some time uh, for something to happen. So, no, that first night I was probably awake the whole night, and so I just uh, told my husband, "Here's here's going to be what's going on," and uh, so it was helpful that he was very supportive of all this. But uh, it was probably. I'd say about a week went by of it being pretty tough, but I hung in and then I would make sure that of course, that I didn't take any naps, you know, even though I got quote sleepy during the day, I was not gonna take any naps because I didn't wanna use up, if you will, some of my sleep drive. I wanted it, I wanted it to build up as much as possible. And uh, And I remember, believe it or not, I remember being so excited when I got a full hour of sleep. And I mean, that was a big improvement. Yeah. And then it was an hour and a half and then two hours and then three hours. And then, you know, and I would have wake awakenings, but I would fall back asleep. And so, uh, so uh, I did that for quite some time and realized that the whole idea of needing to, of this, you know, there's a lot of advisement out there that you need to have seven to nine hours of sleep well that's a recommendation but however for me i seem to do just fine at six and so when i was at six um i was very very happy to get six hours and again i would wake up during the night Um, that was fine Um, and then go back to sleep but over time my uh my sleep time has increased but I was at six hours for a long time and, and felt great with that. Um, I mean, my body felt great. I was clear headed the whole nine yards. And, uh, but as I've managed to the the arousal part that we talked about earlier, I've extended my sleep hours by uh, at least, uh, oftentimes it's seven to eight
0: uh, now. And have you, have you found that going back to the, That change of approach to the arousal, the thoughts, the feelings, all that stuff that often comes with wakefulness. As you've become more skilled in responding to that in a different way when it shows up, do you find that when wakefulness shows up, when you're just awake during the night, you have like kind of a different relationship with that wakefulness now?
1: Yes. Yes, very much. Uh, First off, what was important was realizing that having awakenings was very, very normal. And that just with the cycle of sleep, you're probably gonna wake up most likely every 90 minutes or so, whether you know it or not. So just knowing that that was a physiological normal thing to do and uh, was was very helpful. And then uh, um, the fact that I had been sleeping uh, and then waking before I would have gotten a little panicky (laughs) about, oh no, I'm now awake and I'm not going to be able to go to sleep and oh my gosh, and things of that nature. Whereas it, it, it evolved into, oh, this is just a normal thing for me to wake up and, and then just, uh, you know, just, you know, enjoy the wakefulness. I actually said, oh, well, I can think about some nice things while I'm here or do another little, maybe do another little, uh, you know, mind exercise for myself, just for enjoyment. Or something like that, and then, uh, and as I got more and more skilled at that, then my awakenings uh, were more on the lines of I'd wake up, but I'd feel sleepy still, as opposed to being really awake. But I, I know I was still sleepy, uh, and mm. then, um, and then I would fall back to sleep pretty quickly.
0: Maybe it comes down to that willingness, like you've mentioned a few times. You know, when we're more willing to experience the wakefulness, or when we're more willing to experience the thoughts and feelings that come with being a human being, especially the difficult ones, we become less responsive to to that, to that to those things when they show up. So like you just mentioned, maybe in the past you would wake during the night and kind of the brain would start flashing that red light and the sirens would be going off, right? Here's the wakefulness, everything's gonna be a disaster now, and then you're all tense, you know? Um, compared to when we're more willing to experience the wakefulness, it's kind of we wake up. Oh, there's that wakefulness. There's, there's no more alarm bells. There's no sirens going off. Um, but I think it's one thing to be to say, "Oh, I need to be willing to experience this." It's quite another to actually be willing because it is unpleasant, especially when we're really caught up in the struggle. So, if someone was listening to this and just thinking to themselves, Huh. Willing to experience insomnia? No, I don't want to be willing to experience insomnia because it's awful. Um, how am I going to be willing to experience something that is this unpleasant? Um, I'm putting you on the spot of it here. But what would you what would you say to someone who's who's feeling that way? Because I think most people with chronic insomnia are like, no, I'm completely unwilling to experience this because it's very unpleasant. How do we how do we get from there to this place of more willingness.
1: I think part of it is to accept that everyone, every, whether you're quote an insomniac or not, everyone's going to have wakefulness. It's not just unique to folks who have think who have insomnia per se, and everyone who's even, even good sleepers, if you will, are going to have difficult nights. I mean, that's just the way it is. So there's a lot of company out there and being awake, is really just a natural part of the 24-hour cycle in our lives. And I think that some people think that acceptance or willingness to do something is is similar to resignation. And I think resignation is when you're, you feel defeated and there's nothing you can do about this, whereas acceptance is and willingness is, I can do something different. Perhaps I can learn some things with a coach or something like that to help me get the potential to promote my sleep. So the willingness to be awake and play around with that in a, in, a, in a good way, in a positive way, and learn from that is all part of that whole exercise to get to where you want to be. And it's it's really the positive end as opposed to there's something wrong with me. There's nothing I can do about this. But if you can transition that to being willing and accepting, then that's that, no, I can do something about this and reach my potential.
0: What was the process like in terms of progress? Because everyone always wants, as human beings, we always want to kind of measure our progress against other people, right? And I always try and steer people away from that because Especially with sleep, is something we can't directly control. So we're kind of trying to make something happen that we can't control because someone else was able to make something happen that they couldn't control on a certain time period, and we're trying to match that. Um, but I think what can be helpful is recognizing that progress is very rarely linear. Um, it's, it usually comes with its own ups and da- comes with ups and downs, um, and progress is really different from person to person. I think what's more useful is just focusing on what we can control, which is the practice, practice rather than progress. Because if we are practicing a new, more workable approach to all this difficult stuff, then the progress will take care of itself. And we can't control the progress, we can only control the practice. So when you were kind of implementing all these changes that we've been talking about, what was that like for you in terms of progress um were you finding that each night was just better than the last and that you were just kind of on this straight line uphill everything was always getting better or were there some bumps in the roads and some ups and downs and difficulties too
1: oh yeah it was anything but linear (laughs) so uh I mean, and I'll say that, you know, when I graduated from your course, it wasn't like everything was hunky-dory and, you know, we were all done. I thought, I now have the tools, the skills, the information I need, along with everything else I've been doing to do what I need to do to try to to make improvements. And so things would go well, then I'd have a setback for a few days or whatever. The big difference for me that was so important was that when I had a setback, I didn't panic. It was really more of a, oh, I know what's happening. Here's what I need to do. And uh, so the two years since I graduated from your class to now were much better than before, but there was sort of that up and down, but my whole attitude about it was completely different. That, well, I know what to do. I, I know exactly what's happening. I can uh, do this or that, or pay more attention to this or that. And that that didn't mean I had to disrupt my life or anything like that. It was really more of a, oh yeah, I forgot. And I got a little lazy (laughs) on some things, for example, I might've slept in or I took a nap or whatever I could attribute things. And so it was really more of a, I know what to do. Um, now when I do have those setbacks and, uh, it's, it's just been within the last few months or so, or, uh, it's, I haven't had any setbacks whatsoever without something that I could attribute it to. Like there were, there was a very loud noise or something that I had to was going on wherever I was sleeping, but it's, it's not a linear process. I think everyone who does something like this, it's their, their, progress, if you will, is going to be unique to them. And, uh, to, to try not to compare yourself to anybody else, as long as you have the tools and you can just go back and refer to them, reference them. I think one of the great things that you, you do for folks is you allow everyone to keep all the material that you had. So you can go back and listen. And then of course you have podcasts and various other things for people to listen to. So, uh, just, uh, you know, refresh your memory and your skills and uh, put them into practice and and uh, it'll work out.
0: How how long do you think it took for you to kind of get to a point where sleep wasn't something you were just kind of endlessly struggling with? It wasn't kind of on your mind, crowding out all the other things that you wanted to think about or pay attention to. And you just felt a, better able to kind of live your life independently of what happened at night when just your general relationship changed and you felt, yeah, I don't feel like this is a struggle anymore. I might still have some difficult nights, but it's not something that's kind of consuming my attention, my life.
1: Um, I would say at least six months. It was probably at least six months. And my attitude about it really, and again, it wasn't a sudden attitude change. It was really an evolution in my attitude change in that. Oh, this is just in my my uh, my my perception of the insomnia part of me of you was, oh, that's 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 just that, you know, and I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to, you know, it'll come and go. And uh, and I would even, you know, people, will, you know, if I was on vacation or visiting with people and they say, how would you sleep? And I said, well, for me. Uh, you know, I don't sleep like everybody else, but that's just me, and it's just kind of normal. And uh, and that's and I, I didn't I didn't attribute me being an insomniac anymore. It was really more yeah. of a my sleep patterns are evolving over time, and uh, and what's normal for me is not going to be normal for somebody else. And so my normality, if you will, the my normal state has evolved as well as I think my body has now become a, accustomed to you know getting what it needs, as opposed to me saying, here's what I want and me paying more attention to that. And, and sometimes I'm not sleepy. So if I'm not sleepy, I'm not gonna try to go to sleep. And, uh, but if I'm sleepy, well, like in the middle of the day, I'm gonna do my best maybe to have a cat nap for 10 minutes as opposed to sleeping for an hour being respectful of the sleep drive that I'd like to kick in later on.
0: So, uh, but
1: uh, it took me a while to, to get to that point.
0: Yeah. I, as, as human beings, we always want to make progress really quickly, right? We always want to develop new skills immediately, but they require work and effort and ups and downs. It's just a normal part of the journey. So I think it's helpful to, hear from other people, you know, like what that process was like for them, because we can, it's really easy to hold ourselves to these impossibly high standards. Um, And it's so ironic that we can hold ourselves to these high standards, but we can't even directly control reaching those standards when it comes to sleep, because we, there's no magic sleep switch that we can find hidden away in our brain that we can just activate um, upon command. So it's really helpful to just hear the more realistic Uh, experience from people like you coming on you know saying yes there are ups and downs it's not easy it is difficult it requires commitment it requires willingness and it requires time it's not a quick fix Um, it might take months it might take even longer it's ongoing practice and it's that ongoing practice which really is is the key because it's so easy to get disheartened you know, and the brain to tell you this isn't going to work, give up, go back to all the old stuff that you know from experience doesn't work, but maybe try that stuff even harder. So it's really easy to get pushed off track. Um, and so it is a case of just keeping on going, persevering.
1: Yeah, it, it really is like a journey. It, it's like a journey and included in that journey is you have to say goodbye to some old habits. And we know about habit formation. That's very challenging to, uh, um, change something that's a habit. And uh, because, uh, you know, we just do that without even thinking and, you know, you do your habits without even giving it much thought, but realizing that something that could be impacting your sleep is a habit. And you're like, Oh, my, that's something I have to change. And, and uh, that can be tough at first. But uh, when you realize the benefit of that, then all the other habits that you may have to change, you're like, Okay, I understand why I may have to make those changes. But yeah, it's a journey. I think. And I, you know, and I can, uh, I'm, I'm more attuned to, uh, a potential habit that might creep in. I'm like, oh, I know where this is going to go. <laughs> so maybe not.
0: So, and Claire, I really appreciate the, the time you've taken out your day to come on and to share your experience. Um, I do have one last question for you, which I It would be great if you could answer because I think you'd feel a bit left out if I didn't ask you because I tend to ask this this question or something similar to it to every guest. Um, So here we go. It's this. If someone with chronic insomnia is listening, they feel as though they've just tried everything, that they're beyond help, that they'll just never be able to move away from that struggle with sleep, with insomnia. What would you say to them?
1: I think I'd say, be willing to step back and learn about what sleep really is all about. And that it is a natural state, and most likely the reason why you're having struggles is because you're doing things that are disrupting your natural state. And if you can learn about what all those things are, as well as what promotes the natural state, uh, then you ha- everyone has potential. And the best way to do that is not to try to figure it out all yourself, but perhaps you know reach out to someone like yourself to say here are the here are the tried and true, you know types of things that you can do, and I'm willing to help you along, uh, and uh, and uh, ensure that you can reach your potential. But be willing to be patient. You have to be patient and uh, make the commitment to make those. Sometimes large, but often small changes that can add up in the end.
0: Thanks again for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast, Anne Claire.
1: You're welcome. It was my pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. You can get started right now by enrolling in my online course or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviours that might be making sleep more difficult, and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way. You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients. Or you can choose to add one-on-one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one-on-one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enroll. Anytime you have a question or concern, anytime you're unsure about anything, anytime you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the Phone Coaching Package, we start with a one-hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two-week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it. You get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reid, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.